0: it really comes down to alignment. We have to be aligned up front with each other on where we're going. And he says something pretty key that he really hones in on. He says, always be the buyer. You should be the one that is buying, not selling. So what does that mean? Well, if you're buying, it means you're constantly evaluating if it's a good fit for you. You're constantly evaluating. You reject anything or anyone that isn't aligned with your vision and your priorities, right? So when it comes to bringing on who's, we have to always be buyer. This will allow you then to engage in relationships where people are perfect matches for each other, and when that happens, elevation occurs for one another, and that's obviously what what we're going for.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. The NCG Book Club has been keeping pretty busy over here. We've read a lot of great books in the last several months, and we have a new favorite to add to that list, Who, Not How by Dan Sullivan now think about it what if everything you did was your choice including how you spend your time how much money you make with whom you have relationships only doing the work and spending energy on things that align with your purpose sounds pretty delightful doesn't it dan sullivan's book aims to zero in on this concept with a shift in thinking It's no longer how can I make that happen, but who can I connect with to do those specific things that get us there. From personal to professional goals, company growth potential and more, the NCG team highlights this shift and shares their opinions on finding the who's to do our how's. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals Develop high performing teams and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass.
2: Welcome, everybody. My name is Jim Bradley, and we are here today with members of the Nolan Book Club. Today we have Brian Nolan, Katherine Freeman, and Colin Nolan, all coaches with the Nolan team. Good morning, group.
3: Good Good morning and good afternoon, no matter what time you're listening. It's good to see you, Jim. Thanks for hosting today. Absolutely,
2: Brian. Thank you. We are here to discuss Dan Sullivan's book, Who Not How? The Formula to Achieve Bigger Goals Through Accelerating Teamwork, which he co-authored with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dan Sullivan is an expert on entrepreneurship and has coached more successful entrepreneurs than anybody on the planet. Dr. Ben Hardy is a organizational psychologist and a best-selling author. So we have all read the book, prepared an outline for today's discussion. Uh, So we're well prepared. I I would like to start by saying I found this to be one of the more powerful books that I've read recently. Uh, The material definitely would have served me well earlier in my career many years ago. Um, And this is coming off the heels of Love and Work by Marcus Buckingham, which I thought was another really good book for me personally. So Brian, I have to say that uh, you're hitting home runs with your book recommendations.
3: It's good to get lucky twice.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'd like to start today uh, by just addressing what Dan Sullivan is referring to when he makes the statement of who not how. So I What I'd like to do is just read the first paragraph from inside the cover of the book because I thought it it, uh, really stuck with me as I was going through this material. So, um, what if everything you did was your choice, including how you spend your time, how much money you make, with whom you have relationships, and only doing what aligns with your purpose? Does it sound hard? It's as simple as changing the core question that you ask yourself. When you want to accomplish something, Stop asking, how can I do this and start asking who can do this for me instead? So my thoughts on that are uh, we we all experience getting bogged down in day-to-day tasks and kind of lose sight of the big picture. Uh, Entrepreneurs and business owners should engage in work that brings them the most excitement and engagement. Obviously, their time could be spent working on things that bring a lot more value. Um and create more value and then obviously everything else should be done by someone else. The who. So I I'd, I'd like to start with the group by uh, with start with you, Brian, and get your thoughts on what is the distinction between asking yourself how compared to asking yourself who?
3: Well, this should be good. Cause you know, one of my main who's is on, on this phone call, Catherine, uh, <laughs> you know, every who needs a who to do their how. Um, and uh, if I mean, frankly, if I didn't have Catherine, it'd still be me and Andrew in some little office coaching. And what Catherine's been able to do is, uh, is scale my company. Um, all right, Catherine, that's your only compliment this call. Hey, I promise. Thanks. Maybe, Ryan, that was, that maybe was a couple actually more.
4: I'm actually going for the You know,
3: now. um, the the distinction to get to your point, um, when when you ask yourself how, if you're a visionary, you get stuck. You get stuck in problems and. When asking who, you're focused on the result, not not effort. Uh, my effort should be on flow, creativity. Who creates results? How creates the problem? So if I have a how that can follow my vision, it's huge. I'm I'm asking I'm asking what I want, and then I can't get stuck in how I do it, because then I'll probably stop and I'll put ceilings on myself or mess it up. How about you, Catherine?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, that's that's sort of been my mantra, right, for the last couple of years is results as opposed to process. And if we get stuck in the process, which is the how, we can't effectively see the end result. And that's what we want. We want we want the vision for the company to succeed. And so therefore, it's about assembling the right team to make that happen.
3: I've actually watched my my who create their who, so mm-hmm. so I you're my so you do the how for me right, but then right. you've got people to do. Oh my do gosh, the how right? And, I couldn't
4: do anything yeah. that I do without my who's. I mean, you know, I come up with these crazy hair brained ideas about what, what we can do with SmartSheet, and I say to D, this is what I'm envisioning, and D makes it happen. And I say, you know, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if we did something like this in the events and programming, or if we didn't, what if we did this at the grand summit? and Molly makes it happen, like. We couldn't do what we do if we hadn't assembled a team of who's.
3: Now you get getting into building powerful teams where you bring on you bring in people's strengths. And that's key. You, right. you guys make it all sound so easy. like <laughs> everyone do it. You know why? Right? we will we'll, we'll get into this, uh controlling. Right? I mean Catherine and I just just had a couple of our visionary integrator fights this week. And you know, I, I asked Catherine to be to be my who to do the how, but then I resist and I fight back and I'm I'm like no no I wouldn't do it that way we got to do it this way I need to see that and then I, and then oh Catherine something funny happens I go home at night get a good night's sleep I'm a, I'm a different person today are right.
4: resistance is strong in this one
3: yes I think I think this book hits a lot of people because
0: I mean everyone I mean it's, it's fairly obvious everyone knows that successful people have people doing their things for them right. I don't think it's it's a, it's not like an earth-shattering like what what you guys are saying is that you found people to do these things. Like everyone wants that. I I can get people to do things for me. That'd like, be great. I, but, think I mean the, that's the that's struggle awesome. that entrepreneurs have is making that happen and that's where the real meat of this book comes in is making that
3: happen. Well, well, if I could say um, what what the leaders often don't do is they don't they don't delegate the responsibility of the how. They delegate a task. They start saying, "Can you do this? Can you do this? Can can you do this?" When you're when you find your who to do the how, you got to get out of the way and not tell them how to do things. I think often entrepreneurs uh, delegate tasks and tell the how, and they need to back out of the way and let the who do the how. So the how to find the who, we're not talking about Horton,
0: right? <laughs> right. Right.
2: So, Brian, I I love how you you bring in your experience with your journey with Nolan Consultant Group. Um, this book is powerful. Do you think if you came across this type of material many years ago, how would that have changed your journey a little bit?
3: Well, I, I think I stumbled upon this early. I mean, in 2004, uh, Kevin and I partnered up. And I'm going to speak a little bit later about sort of the four who's in my life. Uh, I've given away two of them, Catherine and Kevin. Um, and I never would have started Nolan Consulting without Kevin. Um, it, it was, uh, he was the how, in so, so many respects, because of his connections with uh, the Contractors Association. Um, so, uh, you know, I, if I, but I, I've always had this, even back in the corporate world. And I think it, I, I probably, Jim, would have started doing it more intentionally earlier. I right. think I was lucky that I that I fell upon it early. <laughs>
2: right. Great. So in the book, Dan Sullivan brings up a tool called the impact filter. Um, Catherine, what role does the tool play in identifying the appropriate who?
4: Well, you know, I I think what I experience with a lot of my clients, and you know, we experience this internally as well, is that idea that we've got a big rock. We we know what we want to do. We've we've identified something that needs to get done by the end of the year, but we've really not put enough work into identifying what it means, who's going to be involved, what milestones might look like. He calls it an impact filter, but we use something called the big rock charter. It's very similar in nature, and it's about getting the big rock owner or champion to really identify what success looks like and what we're trying to achieve, um, and then understanding who needs to be participating and what resources might be involved and exactly what the timeline looks like. And I I was just speaking with a client this week who has, I mean, we're, we're recording this in November, excuse me, in October, and there are rocks on a CPP summary that are not gonna get completed by the end of the year because they didn't do that work. They didn't look at what success was going to be and really identify that and hammer it home in order to get us there. So he calls it the impact filter. We use a big rock charter. And I think you need to do that both, both on a visionary or owner perspective, but also when you've got big rock owners because they could be going down a path that's completely opposite of what we're looking to achieve.
3: Right. Yeah, you know, to to that point, Catherine, the charter that we use and the impact filter provides incredible clarity on, as you said, what done and what winning looks like. And when that's done well, um, he says in the book that you will find incredible who's who will want that project uh, because you just satisfied them. So you're their who to satisfy what they want, right? So you've given them that. In fact, um, Sullivan talks about the fact that uh, the other author actually um, wrote the book and Dan sort of had had conversations with him, and um, so they each were each other's who's. And I think I think that's interesting. I mean, this could sound a lot like the cat in the hat, to be sure, uh, but <laughs> right. it's it it is really how life and how work gets done.
4: Yeah, I think uh, sometimes, or at least maybe maybe it was just me, but my 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 assumption going into the book is that. The who, not how, was a hierarchical scenario, right? It's it's finding who's sort of underneath you, but that is not the point here at all. And in fact, he he really does a uh, Ben does a really good job of explaining that the it's not about you know somebody being more important than another person it's it's about that sort of mutual relationship i mean that's one of the freedoms we'll get there for sure but you know it's about that mutual relationship and and it doesn't it isn't just a a top-down thing it's it's always it's it's what people can do for you and that could be outside your business it could be a networking event it could be a connection that somebody has made with you to another um you know high value customer it's
2: yeah, no, I, I agree. I and to your point, Catherine, I look at it. I thought of it as a horizontal process. Yeah. Uh, in, in particular, with Dan and um, Ben's relationship and how they really helped each other and opened up new doors for each other just by writing this book. And I there's quite a few stories throughout the book uh, with similar regard uh, that really stood out for me. Um, so a repetitive theme throughout this book, Sullivan was trying to drive home. Uh, freedom, right? Four components of freedom that he outlined in the book. So, Brian, how would you summarize the four degrees of freedom, I would say, that he highlights throughout the book?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. When you said this, I I immediately thought the opposite of freedom is being stuck in in the mud. And when I'm thinking about the house, I'm stuck. Um, But he's talking about freedom of time, about creating abundance and having time for self-expansion, freedom of money. Time creates money. Um, and not being cost-minded, right, Catherine? Being investment-minded. I've been I trying know. to tell you that for years.
4: Oh, I know, oh, I know. Right now, talks I'm about a slow freedom learner. Of,
3: freedom, of, freedom of relationships, that um, when you have a who is my who mindset, relationships become transformational. And they literally change Who I am. The who's in my life have changed who I am. I I would never be me unless I had the who's that got me. Um, Talk about freedom of purpose. Uh, Vision and purpose become more than a dream now, they become a reality. And so um, we've got to start thinking about how we're going to do something, and we have to start thinking about who I need to take the ball and finish this thought off or make it happen so it is um transformational to be sure
2: yeah and, and the way i my perspective on the four is they're all interrelated and almost kind of sequential in how you build utilizing the who and, and setting up the way you want to work um you, you touch on a a key point there, Brian, uh, the term avoid the cost mindset. And as we were preparing for this call, every one of us had, uh, we're kind of eager to, to share some thoughts on this. So I, uh, Catherine, I'd like to start with you.
4: Right. Cause uh, I use the, the word mindset. passion there. Yes, passion. Uh, <laughs> I use the word passion because I think, um, and you know, so I'm going to bring it back to a tool that we use. Uh, and when I'm working with business owners, um, the first thing I do when we're talking about um, is this the right time to hire a salesperson? Is this the right time to bring in an admin? Is this the right time? I'm bringing up that break even calculator faster than they can finish their question. Because we all too often are looking at our PL and we're looking at cost centers, and we've identified admin, field reps, sales reps, owner comp as cost centers. We don't often tie overhead into production. And I, I think when we, it it's certainly not unique to our field, but it's certainly elevated in our field because we are production oriented. And so you can draw a very straight line between a craftsperson and your revenue. But other people you can't. And so when you're when he talks about avoiding the cost mindset, he's wanting to shift that paradigm away from this is a line item on your P&L that you've got to watch and start thinking about it from a perspective of what are they going to add to the business? How are they going to how are they going to free up my time so that I can do more of the things that make what I do special? How are they going to free up an owner's headspace to be visioning instead of Managing a crew, like so, that's that's what he's going for. And so for me, the break even calculator, like I, I love that as a tool because I can write, I can automatically go in. Okay, here we go. Here's your salary. Here's burden. Here's vacation. Okay, we're gonna do a four hundred one k. Boom. This person is gonna, after two hundred fifty thousand dollars, is gonna be paying for themselves. And would this person help your business by that amount? Of course they would. Right.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, Carl Yeah. My thoughts. Oh, sorry. Go to Kyle first.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, certainly. So I think a lot of people um, have this kind of trap, the the, the cost mindset trap. Um, and I, the way that I, I kind of want to relate it is through marketing. Um, we have marketing as an expense, and so we understand that spending through marketing, we, we, we do that because we know it will generate leads to further our business in the future. We're able to kind of get over the mindset with that context, right? And uh, this book really makes a point to really take that mindset with every dollar you spend in your business, uh, where what's the long-term opportunity? Um, and, and Catherine, to your point, you know, using the break-even calculator for making overhead decisions is definitely key. I, I think this book says to even go further than that, like, like what's this 10 years down the road, this, is, this decision will still be impacting you for the better if you get it right, not even just this year. Um, and for all the other reasons we talked about, how the who's in your life can can give help you with maybe moonshots. So, and we'll talk about what moonshots are later. Um, so it's even more than just the initial investment, but uh, changing how people operate. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this bootstrap mindset, where they they are always looking to to be efficient. So it can be a difficult switch to flip. Um, and I think you can go too far. Where you can, mm-hmm. there are some people. Are too tight with their money, don't invest at all. Then there are others who spend just completely willy nilly, right? If you if you watched uh, the WeWork documentary, We Crash on Apple TV, right? You can't go too far. Um, so finding that happy medium of of making the right investments is, is pretty important from uh, uh, the book. Right, Brian, your thoughts?
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, my dad always said to that point, Colin. You know, know your risk and be able to handle. Downside of any venture that you do. Uh, this particular question really resonated with me because I I can find myself in a cost mindset a lot. And it's really a scarcity mindset. It's about collecting acorns instead of planting new acorns and, and getting more trees and having an abundance of acorns. It's basically scarcity versus abundance and opportunity. And uh I love the uh story in the book of west west circ who uh is going to sell his business risk management associates and he decides he doesn't want to pay the investment banker fee so he tries to go it alone and it fails miserably um a year or so later he does it again this time he hires an investment banker for five hundred thousand dollars, but the business sold for multiple millions more than it would have sold for uh so um, I, I think of this about you know hiring a new coach. Well, I can't look as, at a coach as an expense. I got to look at coach as revenue. Um, so I, I deal with this all, all the time. I, I think the answer is um, have reserves, uh, know your downside and be able to cut your losses if it doesn't work out.
2: Yeah, I I look at it. It's definitely a a mindset uh, that I I like to use the term as a restraint Uh, and often talk to clients about opportunity loss. Right. Kind of like the break even, Catherine, where you Mm -hmm. really got to evaluate what you you may be leaving on the table. And Brian, you're right. That story with Wes was excellent, where uh, he learned a lesson the hard way. He tried to do it himself. It became more expensive and time consuming and delayed the actual process for him would sell in his company and uh, potentially could have lost the opportunity of the sale. Right. Um, I
4: think hitting it there with the missed opportunity. I mean, that, that can, that can be pretty meaningful um, with, with the people that we work with because, you know, the first thing we would recommend with a brand new client is stop doing your own books and hire a bookkeeper. Now that's a series of tasks, right? We're not necessarily saying a who here, but, but the, but the discussion with the business owner is about what are what are you not doing because you're sitting down and entering invoices? What are you not doing? You're not going to networking events. That's what you're not doing. You're you're pushing out a sales opportunity. That's what you're doing. So really being able to be clear about what people are missing because they're head down is is vital.
2: Right. So the, the authors outline quite a few stories and examples of who, not how at work. Um, kind of going through the journeys of each. Brian, what was your favorite story that really hit home for you that was laid out within the book?
3: Gosh, uh, you, know, you know, the best thing is he, he does uh, weave in tons of stories, like you said. Um, my favorite is about Wes, sir, but it's not the investment bank on one. It's him falling off, off the roof. So Wes has just sold his business for millions. He's a millionaire um, and his HVAC system fails. And he gets a quote for seven thousand and change to fix it, and it's like that's outrageous. Uh, I'm not doing that. I can I can fix it. I can get up there and put some whatever he's doing. So he gets up on the roof in a ladder. Um, he slips and falls, and cracks his head. Goes into a coma. Nearly dies. Um, my wife last year says, "Get up on that ladder and hang those Christmas lights." I say, no way am I hanging those Christmas lights. <laughs> <laughs> what what impact, so I don't do that now. What would impact me too is I was listening to this book on a long walk. I get back to my house. It's a beautiful Saturday. I'm walking around, poison ivy all down the side of my house, like oh, six feet up. I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to get my gloves and try. I'm going to be a mess because I've had poison ivy as a kid terribly. I said, wait a minute, who's my who to do this how? I immediately, I text my landscaper. Within a week, it was done for $88.
4: $88. That's a big ticket item. It would have been the price
3: of my copay for my medical expense, for my poison ivy, and I would would have been miserable.
2: (laughs) It's a great story. I, I think it really highlights the fact how this concept applies to our personal lives as well. Right, Not just our professional, I found myself in many scenarios where trying to fix something like a, a washer or something, I made situations worse and more expensive for myself. Um, and an angry wife on top of that. So uh, it's, a,
0: it's a great kind of case study book for our clients, majority of which are in the service industries, right? So have all have all your customers read this book before they, they hire you. There you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so Colin, how can we avoid the wrong who?
0: Yeah. Good good question, Jim. Um it's it's got to be it really comes down to alignment. Um we we have to using the impact filter and and through using uh, the really the visioning, we have to be aligned up front with each other with with you and their potential who on where where we're going. And he says he says something pretty key that he really hones in on. He says always be the buyer you should be the one that is buying, not selling. So what does that mean? Well, if you're buying, it means you're constantly evaluating if it's a good fit for you. You're constantly evaluating. You reject anything or anyone that isn't aligned with your vision and your priorities, right? So when it comes to bringing on who's, we have to always be the buyer. Um, This will allow you then to engage in relationships where people are perfect matches for each other. And when that happens, elevation occurs. Um, for one another, and that's obviously what what we're going for here. So that
3: point is great. That yeah. that point, that buyer point, Kyle. I love that buyer point. That that refers to customers too. And you know, you going out there um, trying to win a big bid. Be careful that you don't get sucked in, and you're buying it because you're buying it. And so be the buyer. I think that's key. Yeah. Just to to, to add on to
0: that, uh, and your your previous question, Jim. Where it was a, a, one of the stories about a wealth management fund who could potentially bring on, you know one of the biggest high net worth clients, and it would have been massive for the firm, and they chose not to as a result of their interactions. It wasn't a fit. It, it would have been the wrong who. Um, despite all the different kind of, um, you know gleans of p- potential success that this guy would have brought, it wasn't an ultimate who. It wouldn't have elevated each other. So um,
3: another good example there. To, to bring it back uh, to to the impact statement or the um, impact filter um, we and also situational leadership, we have to make sure we don't mistake someone's confidence for competence. Someone may be eager. So if we've done a good job of laying out the project charter or the impact filter um, and we're clear on the position vision, right, Catherine, uh, then um, the person who reads that should light up because it is going to maximize their potential. They see, I can do that. That's me.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Brian, the observing the reaction of going through the filter and kind of reading it. And you can certainly pick up on someone's excitement for a role as well. Uh, so there, there's a great chapter on effective collaboration. Uh, Colin, what, what's your thoughts on that chapter? Or can you provide some examples?
0: Well, it, yeah. So, so the, big, the big thing around effective collaboration is communication. Um, and again, he tells another story about, you know, people tend to procrastinate um, and not ask for help and not collaborate because of really what we call head trash. And we're worried about how someone else is going to take what we're thinking or doing. So we keep things close to the vest. We don't communicate as often as we should. And you can't be worried about if if it truly is the right who, and you really want effective collaboration, you can't be worried about what other other people think. I can't have effective collaboration with my clients that I'm coaching one-on-one if they are withholding things because they don't feel comfortable sharing it. They have to trust me and they have to have courage I'm going to receive it well, because we are the right match. Um, and then this kind of comes back to, to when you have effective collaboration, you can then seek to be a hero for those that, that you work with. Um, so I thought about this one. I'm collaborating all day long with my clients. We are, we are working towards building and getting closer to their vision. And if people aren't communicating with me and I don't know things, it's not good collaboration. It's not a fit. Um, so that, that's what really hit home for me there.
2: I think the key word for their uh, great points is trust. And Brian, I think you had similar thoughts in regards to effective collaboration as well.
3: Uh, yeah, a, a key point Colin mentioned was be, being a hero. You know, When a who wants to genuinely be a hero to a who, then you're collaborating effectively. They talk about the person that can take a project to 80%. He calls it the 80% rule. And uh, the last twenty percent is really difficult for a person, but but bring in a who to do that how, and you've you then maximized the potential of that who and the project. So it's when you're maximizing everybody's capabilities that is really effective collaboration.
2: Yeah, there was a great story in the book about Karen Nance, who was a attorney in San Francisco. And, uh, she was writing a biography on her grandmother who, uh, Ethel Ray Nance, who was a civil rights activist. And, um, this is a project that she knew she wanted to, to, to write a book, get it documented, uh, to preserve her legacy. Um, but as an attorney, her schedule is really busy and she was falling behind and it, the length of the project was extending beyond years. And at one point she got, uh, Someone reached out to her, uh, Dr. Etheline Whitmire from University of Wisconsin, uh, who was a history professor that was also looking to write a book biography on Ethel Raynance, and was about 100 pages deep into it. And at first, Karen kind of got defensive, uh, thought she was going to lose out on the opportunity to be the one to write about her grandmother, but knew that she had most of the inside information Um, And then she put all this pressure on herself to kind of get this biography done. Um, Talking to her mentor, she learned the importance of being working together and really highlight the fact that maybe co-authoring with Dr. Whitmore would bring the best outcome. And ultimately, that's the path that it went down to. Um, Her inside information on her grandmother paired up with the expertise of a uh author that specialized in biographies really stood out and another another great story for me Um,
4: can i can i add something there because i think it takes it it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to understand when somebody isn't a competitor and they're actually a collaborator um, And they they do Dan and, and Ben do a really good job of sort of highlighting a, a lot of relationships where somebody might actually find themselves thinking that they're in a competitive situation and they're actually not. And I think that that is where we find the power of the summit group. Right. We've got people I mean, they're they're in very different communities right for sure right we're talking about people in denver and people in jacksonville so it's not like they're directly competing with one another but they are in the same industry and yet they're bringing their collective wisdom to the plate and they're sharing it and as a result they're all getting better they're all getting stronger so that's that's for me was was no really better descriptor of what the summit group is really all about right i mean that's one of the summit group values right collaboration
2: great great so now I'm at the term moonshot, Colin, you mentioned that it's a term that really stood out for me. I uh, had some conversation with Brian about it as well. What's your thoughts on moonshot?
0: Yeah. So the first moonshot ever was in May of 1961 when JFK said that we choose to go to the moon in this in this uh, decade. Um, so that's that became a moonshot. It's really aggressive, you know, a, a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. Um it's now been, you know, coined as a word to describe extremely ambitious goals, um, and Google has a department that's named for it, and it's where their most ambitious ideas come from. Um, it, it's, you know, the self-driving cars they're working on, Google Glass, things, things like that, and a lot of organizations have moonshot departments, which is a department just for going after really, you know, audacious goals. You know, would would we have gone to the moon without the moonshot? Maybe not. So what what did it do? Well, it was a sh- a really moonshot was sharing of a vision and making it known to everyone who needed to be a part of that vision, to make it happen. All the who's helped gather all the who's, right? The, the engineer was, was you know, watching that on TV and said, I want to be part of that vision one day. And um, so the, the who provides confidence to make moonshots. If you know you have the who's, and it's going to give you uh, the confidence. They really help to expand your vision, making you strive for goals that you would not dream of if you were just a how. Um, so that, so that,
3: that was the moonshot.
2: Yeah. Brian, what's your thoughts?
3: You know, I, uh, I've got um, a couple moonshots myself. Uh, I, I do want to refer to uh, Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs was great at this. Uh, he, I think we call, he called it the, uh, Distorted reality. Um, But you you put something out there and you convince people they can get it done. Um, I've I've been thinking about some moonshots lately, both personally and professionally. Um, You know, professionally, the moonshot that I've given my team here just to start to discuss is an app, an app, a technical app to solve what I call the behavioral problems or behavioral support uh, follows between coaching calls and how to, how to sort of like make that, um, a powerful tool. Personally, um, I, I want to change the world for young people who stutter. Um, yep. Change the world. That's, that's a moonshot, but I've got, I've got a who that I'll talk about shortly who is helping me, uh, raise that, that ceiling.
2: Great. Great. I love that reference. Um, so how can a who expand our vision and our purpose, Catherine?
4: You know, I, uh, this is probably the closest to uh, the rock book Rocket Fuel, right? Who's our amplifiers? They're, they're the people who are going to get things done for you and with you. And then by extension, give you the freedom to do the things that need to get done, right? That's a, It's an amplifier. So I almost envisioned sort of a, a big bullhorn and, and how, that projects out right so now we're not talking about sitting at a computer and physically you know, or or being at a bid and just you know focused here you're, you're spreading out you're almost bigger than who you are so for me it's it's about that amplification process.
3: Great. Yeah. You know you know Catherine, um you knew I was your who before I knew you were my who. I did. <laughs>
4: I was I mean, nipping at your
3: heels for a lot, Brian, wasn't I? Yeah. I mean, when I interviewed you for a job in the call center, I was sharing the vision. Um, I wasn't quite sure how I was gonna get there, but I was sharing the vision of what we were gonna be, of who we were, and you like, that's it. So you're like, I'm um, um, he's my who for what you wanted, right? Um yeah. and then, and then ultimately uh, you became my who. I, I just, you know, want to speak again about sort of that, um, really the five who's my wife is a who too, cause she lets me be me. And that is, that is so huge. Kevin is a who, um, I was Kevin's who also, because Kevin always wanted to start a consulting company, but didn't know quite how I was, a, I was able to do that. How, um, Kat is my who, um, I had a personal trainer who helped me. I had a vision of do, doing a, uh, half Ironman. And um, uh, I, I didn't know how to do it. And man, I hired a who to teach me how to do it. I, I did, I did well, because I had that. And then I have Dr. Donaher at Children's Hospital, who is my who, um, who's letting me reach the world uh, to help young people who stutter uh, for a new a uh, foundation that I started. So as you can see, I'm a big fan of not getting stuck in the mud with How am I going to do this? But who is going to help me? Who's going to be the how?
2: Yeah, I love hearing that because I'm at the point in my life where I'm often, especially this this book has really got my wheels turning about who is playing the role of my who. And I could do a better job in getting who's when I try to handle everything on my own. Mm. Uh, I love hearing the success stories that you share, Brian. Thanks. Um, So Brian, Uh, how how would someone go about introducing this concept into their life and getting comfortable with releasing what are likely considerable responsibilities that they have, whether professionally or personally.
3: Yeah. Well, you got to get over this control thing of how, and, um, you know, if, if I have four who's to do my house, but each who can do it at maybe 80% of the capacity, Uh, I I have 320% capacity versus 100% me just doing it. Um, So I I need to really uh, release myself from the anguish of the how and come with the freedom of the four freedoms that we uh, discussed and trust that my who's get it if they're they're the, the right who's. And I mean, I feel like we just had a big test of this this week, Catherine, you and I. You know, yeah. this is also very similar to rocket fuel, right? The visionary integrator. Um, there's going to be points where there's stress and tension, and and really we, we push each other. I mean, I, you push me, I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure I pushed you.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you push things. my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but, you know, you, you hit on something pretty important there, and that, you know, part of it is, you know, you, You're not going to get off of this podcast, finish reading the book, go out there and hire a who, right? There is there's some relationship building that you do need to do in along with this. And so that you're not just, it's not as as you've said before, Jim, right? It's not about just assigning a series of tasks to somebody. It's not that. Um, you need you need to be aware of the fact that there's gonna be you know trials and errors to this. And and You know, uh, Colin, you and I, I I listened to this on, you know, one and a quarter speed, right? It's, it was a four hour investment of time. And it's going to take a lot more than that, those four hours to make something like this work in, in your business. And you have to be prepared for that.
2: Right. The, uh, the experience between you and Brian is, it really stands out for me because it relates to how we coach hmm. And uh, so you you have the internal experience that is directly related to some of the obstacles that our clients face. So to, I just to wrap up this review. I, I'd like to get everybody's thoughts on how do we apply this concept in our coaching techniques with our clients? And Colin, I'll start with you.
0: Yeah, I think I, one of the things I said to you um, earlier today, Jim, was. You think back and what what are the commonalities? You know, all of our clients are financially independent, but what's the one commonality amongst them of of what made them successful? For those that that you know that are achieving their vision, and it's every single one of them found who's uh, that is the one common theme. Um, you can be successful in a lot of different ways. But I'd argue the only way that you have to be successful though is by building a great team and to do it do it that way. So helping our clients build great teams and find their who's that that's that's the t- takeaway for me. Yeah. Catherine, what's your thoughts?
4: So I'm, I'm going to, I 100% agree with Colin and I'm going to focus in on the who's plural too, because I, I think sometimes the, the thought is um, there's going to be one sort of perfect person who's going to do it all, but it's not that it's a series of whos. There's who's are are multiple and allow those multiplicity of people in your life to help you to achieve what you want to achieve. I mean, Brian listed five and, you know, that's that's important to be sort of thinking about the plurality of it. Um, Specifically, I've got a lot of clients who I've already said, you need to read this book. You 100% need to read this book. And if you don't have it read by the next call, we're not talking numbers. We're going to read the book.
3: Great. Great, all
2: right, Brian, bring us home.
3: Wow, two great points that maybe I can I can just put a cap on. It, it strikes me that a lot of customers come to us to learn systems and I want this system, I want this systems, but really it's about, it's really about who. Uh, once you find the who, they will build the systems or they will execute on the systems because the systems we offer, you can't execute by yourself and, my final comment is, you know, I think coaches that we have, like you guys, you succeed because you want to be a hero. You want to be a hero for your client, so that they can be a hero for their people. And a hero is someone that can that can can sort of help someone fulfill uh, their life's purpose and what they want. And as as we hired you, Jim, um, it was clear that. You you had that in you. You cared about that, and when you care a lot about that, you, you're a hero. You are someone's who, and that's powerful. Uh, you can help them achieve great things.
2: Yeah, well said, Brian. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I would say as I wrap up here, reading a book, I you know just even partly into it. Every call I had with a client, I was like, you have to read this book, and. I've sent them to the cover, you know, introduced them to it, but I just almost overwhelmingly, almost every client that I have, I'm like, you need to find your who, and we need to kind of highlight this. You know, so. All right, well, I, I want to thank everyone uh, for your time this afternoon. I, it was a great conversation, great call, and uh, until next time with the Nolan Book Club, um, have a great afternoon.
3: Thank you, Jim. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Thanks
1: Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.